0: I love Andy Griffith, that's got to be one of the best shows of all time. I grew up watching reruns of Andy Griffith, it uh, has been on the air for well over 50 years now and uh, still has an audience, I think it appeals to every generation. Opie of course is, I don't know, how old is Opie now? He's got to be close to 56 or 57, somewhere in there, close to 50 uh, I think. But uh, it has been around a long time, and every show always seemed to be teaching some life lesson, whether it's tooth brushing or love and marriage. Andy always had bits of wisdom that he was going to share with Opie and uh, teach some life lesson from the experiences of the people of Mayberry. Now, those shows of the 50s and 60s and even into the 70s and 80s always had the dad's giving some advice, or passing on wisdom to their children. Do you recognize some of these wise fathers? Who is this? Dr. Huxtable, that's right, or the jello salesman, however you want to remember him. Who's this? Ward Cleaver, that's right, leave it to Beaver. Who's this? Friday Night Lights, that's right, this is uh, Coach Taylor, Eric Taylor. This is much more recent. Uh, I I must admit, I've not actually seen this show, but he came on very high uh, authority that he's a good dad uh, on the show. Who's this? Carl Winslow, Family Matters. Who's this? Mike Brady from the Brady Bunch, that's right. Today's sitcoms, though, seem to lack the wisdom that today's dad is, is seen as someone who doesn't know anything. He's kind of seen as a buffoon, uh, a, a, the butt of jokes, uh, not wise at all, definitely uh, not wise, barely even likable, like this guy. Who's that? Homer Simpson. Nope! Oh! Who's this? Archie Bunker. Who's this one? Tony Soprano from uh, uh, The Sopranos. Who's this? Who is it? Frank Costanza from Seinfeld or Arthur from The King of Queens. He kind of got, uh, got rooked in twice. Who's this? Frank Barone from Everyone Loves Raymond. Uh, the dad you always glad was not like yours what has happened to wisdom in the last 50 60 years who were the wise and understanding among us and where do we go when seeking wisdom where can we find it James asked that question nearly 2,000 years ago this morning I want to challenge you to think not that you're not challenged to think every but I'm making a point of it this morning I'm going to challenge you to think. And not just this morning, but to commit yourself to being a lifelong thinker. God has given us minds. And our minds are one of the ways that, that he has given us to know him. And I want you to think of thinking, think of thinking, as an act of worship. That when I use my mind to understand him, when I reflect on my own life, when I meditate upon his word, those are all ways in which God has has given us to worship him. Saying it's too hard, that's not worship. That I'm not smart enough. That that the Bible is over my head, that I can't. Those are all lies, you can. That, That it's not over your head, that you are smart enough, that God has given you a mind that you might understand it. Many of us have just gotten lazy in using our minds spiritually. How many times have you read something in the Bible and said, I don't understand, and then just left it? I just don't understand it. I don't get it. That's over my head. And then you just walk away from it. But God has given us His Word that we might know Him and we might understand Him better. And He's given us our minds that we might understand His Word but so many times we're okay with only knowing him a little. John Piper in his latest book called Think, it's the title of it, says the main reason God has given us minds is that we might seek out and find all the reasons that exist for treasuring him in all things and above all things. It's not about going to school or getting degrees or having prestige. It's not about the superiority of intellectuals. It's about using the means God has given us to know him, love him, and serve him. Thinking is one of those means. I would like to encourage you to think, but not be too impressed with yourself when you do. R.C. Sproul uh, says this about the world that we live in today.
1: We're probably living in the most anti-intellectual period in the history of the church. Not anti-scientific, not anti-academic, but anti-intellect, anti-mind. The Bible tells us that we are called as Christian people not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed, and the way of that transformation is through the renewing of the mind. We have been made by our Creator to have a direct line from the brain or from the mind to the heart. And so for the Scripture, the new mind brings with it always a new heart, but you can't bypass the mind in an attempt to have a renewed heart. And that's what people are trying to do today. I don't want to learn. I don't want to study the Word of God. I want to have a feeling. I want to have uh, some kind of mystical experience and let that supplant or replace the hard study of the content of the Word of God. But the Scripture says the way life changes is when the mind changes. Mm.
0: The way life changes is when the mind changes. The transformation doesn't come from a feeling. It comes from a change of mind. And that if I'm going to change, as James says, my actions and my speech, he's now saying, you need to change your mind. You need to change the way you think. If you're going to change the way you act and you're going to change the way you talk, then you first need to change the way you think. We are called to be thinkers. We cannot read a portion of Scripture that talks about wisdom without thinking about truth, without thinking about philosophy, without thinking about the mind. Those are usually terms that we're like, "Mm, I don't want to dip philosophy, truth, what is truth? I I, I don't want to go there. But we're going to go there this morning. What is wisdom? Wisdom. What is wisdom? If James is saying here, and we're going to read the James chapter 3 here in just a little bit. If James is saying, who is the wise and understanding? Who, who has wisdom among us? What is wisdom? And, and wisdom can be very difficult to define. It's much easier to spot, and I think it's even easier to spot the lack of wisdom. That's why we have shows like America's Funniest Home Videos. If it were not for a lack of wisdom, those shows would not exist. Wisdom is that quality or state of being wise. Okay, well, that's not really helpful. Wisdom is being wise. It's the knowledge of what is true or right, coupled with just judgment as to action. Wisdom is the knowledge of truth that leads to correct judgment of action. Wisdom is knowing what is right and doing it. That is wisdom. Where are the wise among us? Where do we go for wisdom? Where do we seek that knowledge of truth? Philosophy is, if we break the word down, it's simply phileo, meaning love, and Sophia, meaning wisdom. Philosophy is the love of wisdom. And wisdom is the knowledge of truth that leads to right actions. We should all be philosophers. We should all have a love of wisdom, a love of truth that leads us to right actions what James is saying. It's what James is calling us to. What is truth? R.C. Sproul in the Truth Project, where that clip came from, says in another part that truth is that which corresponds to reality as God sees it. Truth is not how you and I see it. It is not how you and I perceive truth. Your perception of things do not define reality. God's perception of things define reality. My perception can be skewed. My perception of myself cannot be how God sees me and therefore I don't see things the way he sees them. Uh, My perception of circumstances, my perception of another person. Reality, truth, is how God sees it. We need to be thinkers. We need to be philosophers. We need to be thinking and seeing things reality the way God sees it. How does God see life? He's given us an entire book that helps us see things the way He sees them. Which brings us to this morning's text. One portion of this book, James chapter 3, turn with me. James chapter 3, verse 13. says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, knowledge of truth that leads to judgment of action. His good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. There are two types of wisdom, two types, wisdom one, wisdom two. You have the uh, color scheme is uh, thanks to Krista Wagner uh, this morning, as she put the PowerPoint together for me. Two types of wisdom that are resulting in two types of truth, but only one can be Right? And yet our minds will operate according to one or the other at any given time. There are only two types of wisdom. So all of our actions, all of our thoughts, all of our speech is going to be based on one of these two wisdoms. We live in a world that says truth is what you make it. Your truth may be different than my truth. What is true for you may not be true for me. This is called relativism, and it is a lie. That's Satan attempting to confuse us. Attempting to deceive us, attempting to tell us that there is no really wisdom. There is no real truth. Truth is as you perceive it. No. Two wisdoms. There are only two choices. Foundational for every action we take and every word that we say. This morning, James is raising the bar on how we live. James is raising the bar on how we make decisions. On how we decide what to do, on how we decide what to say. He says, your actions are important. Your deeds will show your faith. He says, your speech is important because your words will show your faith. And now he says, your mind is important because how you think will show your faith. Where do these two wisdoms come from? Wisdom number one is earthly. That means it's not of heaven. It's existing on the earth. It it is this wisdom that finds its origins in man. This is man's wisdom. Well, it can be highly intelligent and it is not godly and never will be godly. I don't want us to confuse earthly wisdom and earthly knowledge. There's a lot of knowledge in this world that is good and things that we should know, but wisdom affects our application of that knowledge. And that this knowledge that we are basing sometimes our actions on is earthly. It's not of heaven. And so you have to stop and reflect, where am I getting this knowledge. Where does the knowledge, where does what has led me to do this or say this come from? It's unspiritual. Number two, James says it's earthly, it's unspiritual. It, this actually means it's of a sensuous nature, it is basic, it is animalistic, it is the natural passions. It says, but at the root of man's nature is sin. And so at the root of this earthly, unspiritual wisdom is sin. It's a fallen nature. So man's wisdom is also fallen. Decisions based on this foundation will be in conflict with godly wisdom. Just be yourself is the worst advice you can give some people. Because we're basing our actions, we're basing who we are, we're basing our perception of reality on something that is not godly. On something that is not real. On something that is a lie. On something that is based in the most animalistic acts. Not the divine nature. James holds nothing back. He says this type of wisdom is also devilish. The word is demonic. From the demons. From the devil. We think of demonic as dark and really, really bad. Nothing we've ever experienced or touched. But I'll tell you, truth is... The least little deviation from God's truth is demonic. The least little movement from God's truth, from his word, from his wisdom, is demonic. That's what James is saying. That if it's not God's wisdom, then it's demonic wisdom. It's the lie. The bad part is that man is naturally drawn to the lie. We are naturally, in our fallen states, drawn uh, to to this earthly, unspiritual, devilish wisdom. This earthly, animalistic wisdom is what our natural man craves. It's what we want. It will be our natural response. Unless we change our mind and have that transformation of mind that leads to heart. That Sproul talked about. Ephesians chapter 4 says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, that animalisticness, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, that, however, is not the way of life you learn. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Put off that old nature, that that old wisdom, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, the counter to wisdom number one is wisdom number two, and that's a heaven wisdom a heavenly wisdom this is the wisdom that comes from God this is the right concept the right perception of reality seeing things rightly this wisdom comes from the knowledge of God as he has revealed it to us this is why the study of and the understanding of scripture is so important this is why when we hit something that we don't understand right away we don't just leave it We come back to it again and again and again until we do understand it. Until God has opened our mind or changed our mind concerning it. God has revealed everything we need to know in his word. But we need to know it. We need to know it beyond a shadow of a doubt so that our our actions and our speech are, are, are determined by it. Are influenced by it. Are changed. Are transformed by what he has revealed in his word. But if we don't know, if we don't understand, if we haven't studied it, how will we obey? And then the question comes back, who's the wise among us? Who's the one that's living out the truth in a way that that it is visible, that it is seen? We have to put ourselves in places that enable us to grow in knowledge, that enable us to grow in truth, to learn God's word, that we might have what is needed to make right, heavenly, wise decisions. What do these two wisdoms look like? Number one, James says the earthly wisdom is envy. That's basically selfishness, jealousy. We get all worked up in our mind about wanting something we don't have, about perceiving it as something that we should have, something that we should desire. And we get all worked up because somebody else has it and we want it. It's jealousy. Everyone owes me something. It's seeking personal praise. It's robbing God of glory. It's I want it for me. I want what they have. I want what God has for me. When I do something for God, do I want people to notice me and acknowledge me, or do I want them to notice God and acknowledge God? Do I want God to receive the praise? Who gets the glory for your speech? Who gets the glory for your actions? Earthly wisdom is also selfish ambition, James tells us. This is simply a promotion of self. Getting people to follow me, getting people to look at me, getting people to consider how great I am or how great I want them to think I am, whether it's true or not. The flip side of that is getting people to feel sorry for you, to play the victim. Life is so hard. Don't you feel for me? Give me a little attention. I'm so busy. I don't know what I'll do. Get in the Word. I give you one thing to do right now. Get in the Word. Change that attitude. Change that way of thinking. It's not about you. It's not about you good. It's not about you bad. It's about Jesus. It's about God. Anything else is earthly wisdom, is selfish ambition. Earthly wisdom is all about Ted. What's best for me and how do I get it? From a selfish standpoint. How many times do we live our lives that way, though? How many times do we get up and, and, and we, we look at the day as, as to what we're going to get? What can I get out of it? What's this going to give to me? What, if I do this, what am I going to get for it? Mm-mm. Selfish ambition, worldly wisdom. Unspiritual, demonic, of the devil flip side James only lists two things, envy and selfish ambition he lists nine things or eight things eight things that describes godly wisdom one, he says first of all it's pure pure simply means it's empty of sin it is untainted it is moral rightness, it is unselfish it has no part of you and me in it That those actions, that thinking, that transformation, that wisdom, that truth, that knowledge, God's wisdom always leads to rightness of action. You will not go wrong. The fact that James says it it is first of all pure, that this is the top of the list, that he even makes mention that he put it there first for a reason, signifies the importance of purity, that God's wisdom is pure before it's anything else. No lying, no cheating, no manipulating, no deceiving, no compromise, no tolerance for any deviation, because any deviation from God's wisdom, from God's truth is what? It's demonic. It's sin. It's untainted. It's tainted. It's, it's human. Therefore, all my relationships will be built on trust, on respect, on honesty, on purity, on God's wisdom, God's knowledge of relationships. Secondly, it's peace-loving. Sometimes we want to make peace-loving the first thing. Can't we just all get along? No, we can't. Why? Because we're operating off of two working systems, two different operating systems. One of us is working off Mac. One of us is working off Windows. I'm not going to say which one's which. One of us is working off of an earthly wisdom, and one of us is working off a heavenly wisdom. We will not get along. It's first of all pure, then peace-loving. As much as it is possible with you, live at peace with all men, we're told. Peace-loving, man's wisdom leads to jealousy and envy. But this is peace that is based on holiness, not peace that's based on compromise. It's based on holiness. It's first of all pure, no compromising of the truth. Peace is not more important than purity, but it will work at maintaining integrity in my relationships. That I'm going to work at at maintaining peace, at at maintaining a right attitude, at, at maintaining a right response, that I work at maintaining harmony and encouragement, in my relationships. Proverbs 14.29 out of the message says, slowness to anger makes for deep understanding. A quick-tempered person stockpiles stupidity. NIV doesn't use that word, but the message does. I love it for that. Pure, peace-loving, considerate. That the wisdom of God is considerate. I am not the cause of a fight or hard feelings. I am never to be the cause of the fight or the hard feelings. I am considerate or gentle. That I will be mindful of how my actions and words affect others. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. (coughs) Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Meaning unbelievers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, he says, be mindful of how, of how you act toward outsiders. I'm going to say because he assumed you already did that with insiders. He assumed you are already full of grace and seasoned with salt and encouragement and love when you talk to other believers. James or Paul is saying, do I need to tell you that? I hope not. That, that your actions are out of the wisdom, uh, out of considerate, consideration for others' feelings, gentleness in dealing with a brother and an unbeliever. Proverbs 15 says, kind words heal and help, cutting words wound and maim. Number four, submissive. Yielding, open to suggestions, means not, not getting defensive. Means that we are swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. It's an openness and a willingness to change. That I'm going to be submissive to God's wisdom. I'm going to be submissive to the reality as God sees it, not my perception of it. Submissive to His word. Proverbs 12 says, Fools are headstrong and do what they like, wise people take advice. Number five, mercy. We're not giving someone what they deserve. We're, we're holding, we're withdrawing punishment. We're treating them with mercy. We are controlled by mercy. And mercy is to be our first response, not lashing back, not getting even. Mercy. That's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of man says get even. The wisdom of man says you have a right to pound them. The wisdom of God says mercy is the right action. Number six, good fruit. Good fruit means good works. It's our actions. It's what Paul talked, or it's what James talked about in, in, uh, all throughout chapter two. That wisdom always has a happy ending. That when we do the wise thing, we've done the right thing. There's no guilt, there's no regret. We can, we can walk with a, with, a, with a certainty that we have pleased God. We don't need to hide, we don't need to be ashamed. The people who are wise do not have empty, unproductive lives. They're busy people. Wise people are busy people because they're seeing what God is doing and they're joining Him in it, and God is always at His work. And we too are to be helping Him, to be working with Him, to be being used by Him. Wise people are busy people. Good fruit. Number seven, impartial. This is A better understanding might be uh, it's unwavering. It's non-decisive. It, the, the world's wisdom is always changing. It's right and wrong are, are hard to tell the difference. And what's right today may be wrong tomorrow from the world's understanding. Because it's all relative. That's that relativism. It, it used to be wrong, now it's right. It used to be right, now it's wrong. The world is always changing. God's wisdom never changes. His truth is absolute truth. Does not change. Is not relative to circumstances or people or culture. The wise are not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. How sure are you that what you believe is really real? How sure are you that what you believe and how you base your life and how you live your life is based on something that is absolute fact? How sure are you? God's wisdom is impartial. God's wisdom is unwavering. God's wisdom is decisive. Certainty. God's wisdom, number eight, is sincere. This is openness and honesty. There's no hiding behind a mask or an image of of what you want people to think about you. There's to be no politicking, no campaigning, no presenting myself as something I'm not. Thoughts, actions, words, feelings, all sincere. Rooted in God. Rooted in the character of God. In the nature of God. But what do these two wisdoms produce? Earthly wisdom produces disorder. How many of you have seen that in your life? When you tend to do things out of natural instinct, out of your gut, out of intuition that's not been transformed by the Word of God. When you work off the mind of man and not the mind of Christ, it leads to disorder. It leads to instability, confusion, mental confusion. Not knowing what God wants leads to not doing what God wants. Leads to every evil practice. Works that are worthless, that are of no account. They mean nothing from a heavenly perspective. You're just wasting your time. It's an unproductive life. You may be busy, but you're not accomplishing anything. To be able to lay your head down on your pillow at night and look back over what you've done that day and said, yes, God was pleased. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me to this. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that. Thank you, Lord, for getting me involved in this, for leading me this into this conversation. God's leading. Heavenly wisdom produces peace. The opposite of disorder gives purpose, meaning, and a calmness to our actions. Certainty and no doubt that I can walk not, not doubting what I'm about to do or about to say. Because it is based in, in truth. Heavenly wisdom produces righteousness. God-likeness the best way for that. Right living is what it produces. The scripture comes to mind when we talk about wisdom, understanding, and our minds. It's Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces, elemental, animalistic, basic, natural, devilish, demonic spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. What's he talking about? He says there's two kinds of wisdom, and you may be taken captive if you're not careful by the wrong one. That the natural wisdom, the the earthly wisdom that depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces, animalistic, demonic spiritual forces, make sure that it doesn't take you captive, that you don't buy in to the lie. My fear is that in some ways we are still captive to the hollow and deceptive philosophies, to the wisdom of this world. That is why moral behavior statistics are not at all different from, for people in the church and those outside the church. That kids in the church are being confronted and doing the same things with as kids outside the church. That the outsider and the believer are, are somehow, their lives are looking the same. Why? I think we're being taken captive. I think we've bought into the lie. I think we've not, not allowed the, the truth and the knowledge to transform the way we think and therefore our actions look just like the people who haven't been transformed either. Do we really believe that a wisdom from God exists and that we can and should live by it? Do we really believe? Where is the transformation, that link between heart, head, and action? As Sproul said, without the changing of the mind, there is no transformation. We can read the Bible all we want. We can attend Sunday morning worship. We can go to Sunday school, Bible study Sunday night, small group, listen to Christian radio. But if we're not allowing that truth to change the way we think, We'll continue to act just like the world. God knows what is best for each one of us. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe it? Does it change the way you think that when hardship comes and suffering comes, you say, you know what? God knows what is best. I'm trusting Him in this. I will walk through it. I will go through it in faith. I will go through it in the knowledge that he is with me. I will seek out answers in scripture that I might take the next right step. That I might do the next right thing right. Marriages. When God says I hate divorce, he says it because he knows it's bad. He knows that it's the worst thing for you. He knows that it is bad because he knows the psychological damage that it does to husband, to wife, to kids, to extended family, to the friends. He knows what it does to the church. That's why he says, love each other unconditionally. That's why he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And and wives, submit to your husbands. The same way that the Holy Spirit submits to God and and, and the, the Father and the Son. He knows what's best. That's why he says, forgive each other a bazillion times. That's my translation of 70 times 7. That's why he says, no sex before marriage. That's why he says, don't live together. And yet half of the time, Christians are saying, no, God, I don't believe you. I think I know better in this situation. I think I know what is best for my life right now. We've taken the sacred institution of marriage and turned it into our own personal sociology experiment. I'm going to try this. If it doesn't work, I'm going to move over and try it with her. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to move over and try it with her. And then if that doesn't work, I have friends that are on their third and fourth marriage. In the church, has it transformed anything? Do we really believe that God knows what he's talking about? Not just marriage. Parenting. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Parents, you have a responsibility to teach your children about God, to lead them to a knowledge of them, to train them up in the way they should live. Yet, when it doesn't turn out, who do we blame? School system. Youth group. Lousy youth pastor. I was one of those lousy youth pastors once, so I can say that. But who's really to blame? Whose responsibility is it? Parents, follow what God says about parenting. And the youth group is just an added bonus. The school system can be an incredible learning atmosphere and experience for them. Don't abdicate the throne. The practical list of topics God has spoken on and has wisdom about is endless science, work, finances, politics. Politics and religion religion don't mix. I say they better mix. King of kings says they mix. God wants to transform your marriage. God wants to transform your family, our schools, our community. But we have to do it his way. We cannot fall captive to the thinking of this world. The knowledge of God's Word, allowing the Holy Spirit to help take thoughts captive, is from God. Am I operating out of worldly wisdom or heavenly wisdom? Stop and reflect. Take some time this afternoon before the game starts and and reflect on your life. Where have I been? What have I been basing my decisions on? Where have I gotten that wisdom? Here is the hope. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God, I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. God doesn't fault you for not knowing what to do. And he'll grant it. He'll lead you to it, but it may take hard work. He's not going to give you the feeling that this is right necessarily. You may have to deep down study. You may have to seek the advice of wisely of of wise counsel. Many of us have committed our hearts to him. This morning I want to ask you to commit your mind to him. Our bulletin is chock full of opportunities to gain knowledge and to gain truth. You just flip over to the back of the bulletin and look at the weekly schedule. Sunday we have Sunday worship, we have a sermon, we have Sunday nights starting February 20th. We have Sunday school at both hours. Did you know that? We offer Sunday school classes at 9 o'clock and 1045. That you can, that you can go and, and gain knowledge, gain truth, gain understanding so that you are better prepared to make wise choices. We have uh, Sunday night youth group, SNL. Tuesday we have community women, a men's Bible study, rebuilders, group for the age uh, 20-somethings. Singles, Senior High Bible Study, Wednesday morning, Women to Women. The library is open, chock full of resources. Incredible stuff in there. Treasure trove of wisdom. Go check out a book, read it. 20 years ago, you'd have never gotten me to say that. Check out the video and watch it. That's what I would have said 20 years ago. Senior High Bible Study, Sunday choir, prayer and Bible study on, Sunday, or on Wednesday night. Thursday, TNL, another Bible Another Bible study. We have small groups throughout the week. Get in the Word. Allow God to transform you, to change you. My question to you this morning is the same that James answered. Who is the wise among us? Where are the wise? Where are you getting wisdom? Let's pray. Father, this morning you have challenged.